I'd like to begin reading this morning from Philippians chapter 2 in verse 3 and read through verse 8 with verses 5 through 8 being the main focus of our attention this morning. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 3 this is what God's word says. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In some ways, looking for a new church is like going out on a date. Particularly the first time you visit a church and the first time you go out on a date. I can remember the very first date I went on with Jay Lynn. It's been just about 40 years ago, not quite, but almost 40 years ago. I figured I only gonna, I'm only going to get one first date. I'm only going to get one chance to make a first impression on a date. And so I decided I was going to take her to the Village Restaurant, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. So it was about a 35-minute drive from Titusville. It was one of the nicer restaurants in Disney Village, which became downtown Disney and, and now is Disney Springs. And so we sat down, we got our menus, and... I was quite surprised at the price of the, of, the, of the meals on this menu. And in my mind, I could hear her saying, well, I'll take the steak and the lobster and a side order of a dozen shrimp. Now, I wasn't exactly sure what she was going to order, but I knew that whatever she ordered, unless she ordered a side salad and a glass of water, I was going to be in trouble. And so I looked at the menu, I figured up, you know, what I would probably order. I was trying to determine what she might order, and I excused myself, I said, to go to the restroom. So I went to the restroom, I, I, I searched in my pockets, I'm counting out all of my change, I'm looking at my, uh, uh, my uh, dollar bills in my, in my billfold, no check, no, uh, no credit cards at that time, and so I'm really wondering, man... Maybe I should have said McDonald's or something. I, I, I just didn't feel good about the way this might go. So we sat back down, and, and she, you know, the steak and the lobster looks very good. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, not really. I, I'm not sure steak and lobster is what this restaurant's known for. And so she's looking at the meals. Well, she ordered something reasonable. I ordered something even cheaper and less reasonable than that. You're not very hungry? No, I, I think a side salad and half a cup of soup is going to be it for me tonight. I'm watching my weight. And, and uh, so the night went fine, and, and I thought it was, you know, phenomenally good evening. So on the way home, I said, you know, I'd like to see you again. Would you, would you be willing to go out with me again? And she said, yeah, I, I'd be more than happy to go out with you again. So we went out on a few dates, and I can remember pulling up to her house one night, going to walk her, uh, walk her up to the door and, uh, and uh, make sure she gets in safely. And so we get up to the door, and she says, you know, listen, you're... You're a wonderful young man, but I just don't think that there's, you know, a long-term future for us. And so I, um, I'm just going to say, you know, we probably should just stay friends and, and not take this any further. And so inside I was just crumbling and crushed and thinking I should have not taken you to the village restaurant and wasted all that money. I said, that's, that's fine. That's okay. Well, I was lying through my teeth. But 
Nevertheless, after a couple of months, I thought, well, you know, I'm an old adage, try, try again. So I asked her out. She said, sure, I'll be glad to, glad for us to go out. And so we went out on a, another first date, kind of. And again, I took her to a nice restaurant. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe two times is a charm. And so we dated for a little while. And before long, she says, you know, I, I, I like going out with you. And I like memorizing the Bible with you and having prayer with you. But I just don't think there's a long-term future in this for us. And so I think it's better for us to be friends than... Um, than to, to continue dating. And I, I'm calculating in my mind how much money I've spent uh, on her in these last, uh, last several outings. And so, needless to say, you know, try, try again, and eventually you wear them down. Eventually they give up. They can only see you cry so many times. They can only, they can only have you uh, have these uh, broken-hearted looks so often. So finally she said, all right, we can, we'll, we can get married if that's what it's going uh, to take. And so... You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's something to not giving up tenacity, stick-to-itiveness, and all the rest. But, but dating is a lot like trying to find a church. You, you go to a church for the first time, and you're, you're trying to, to get a sense if your personality and the personality of the church is going to mesh. If, if their interest and passions about serving and worship and the community is commensurate with your passions about service, worship, and the community. They have a common view of the word that you do. And so often, dating and looking for a church are very, very similar. The problem is, often people will date and marry, but they don't have any, they don't have any kind of serious premarital counseling. And so they don't transition very well from dating to marriage. Because often that transition requires a lot more effort, a lot more intentionality. You get to know one another a lot better. And sometimes the person that you dated doesn't look anything like the person that you married. And sometimes that's true with church life. Sometimes people date a church, then they join a church, but they keep acting as if they're just dating the church. Uh, they, they've signed on the dotted line, but they really haven't made a substantial commitment to buy in to the church. A number of years ago during our, our church time study late uh, summer, early fall, we, we did the book Stop Dating the Church. We did it on a Sunday night. We had hundreds and hundreds of people in our congregation go through that book. And then at the culmination of it, the author of the book, Joshua Harris, came and preached a message to us on the church. And Joshua Harris in his book, Stop Dating the Church, says there's three characteristics of a church dater. The first characteristic is that one who joins a church but continues only to date the church is usually a me-centered person. He or she goes for what they can get. And if they don't get what they want, then they'll quit dating the church. They'll just leave the church. They'll drop out of the church. But often a church dater who becomes a a member who never buys in and throws their whole lot in with the church just keeps a me-centered personality. A second characteristic Joshua Harris says is that a church dater is one who remains independent. Uh, they don't want to, to get involved in the lives of other people and they certainly don't want people involved in their lives. 
They don't want anybody getting up in their space. They don't want anybody getting, uh, getting too personal with them. And they certainly aren't that interested in getting very close and personal with other people. They, they find it much easier to keep people at an arm's distance rather than to begin to build community life with other people. Uh, they, they're not interested, if they're in a BFG, in actually becoming an integral part of a Bible fellowship group. And, and often they, they just won't even go that far. They're just a casual comer and goer and an attender, but they've signed on the dotted line. They've, they've joined the church, but, but you don't find them transitioning from dating to marriage very well. It's like the, the couple that marry and then the husband continues to act like he's dating. Where he doesn't consult with his wife about scheduling. He, he spends a significant amount of time out apart from the family, or from, his, from his wife, with, with co-workers and friends. He doesn't engage his wife and invite her into his world. and He, he doesn't go into, into her world very much. Uh, there's an independence. It's two people that are living together, but... They're still kind of dating. And you see that in the same with the church date. Or a third characteristic that he says is that church uh, daters usually become very critical. They're primarily negative. They're primarily pointing out all of the weaknesses and the faults, which every church has. But they never look in the mirror and realize, you know, I've got a lot of weaknesses. I've got a lot of sins. And so for their failure to do that, they're not very compassionate with other people. They're not very kind and considerate with the weaknesses and frailties of others. They're, they be, they're very critical, nitpicky, fault-finding, hypersensitive. That's a person that's dated a church. It's a part of this consumer mindset. You know, if I don't get what I like, then I'll make sure that you know that I'm not getting what I like. And, and Joshua Harris in that book says it's not a very healthy place for a Christian person to be. The reason why we should stop dating the church and why we should marry the church is because Jesus Christ is married to the church. The church is the bride of Christ. In fact, there are really four things I want to say to you this morning, and the first one is this. I love my church because Jesus does, and he is married to her. The Bible is replete with passages, both in the Old and the New Testament, that show that God is married to his people. And in the New Testament in particular, Christ is married to the church. For example, Ephesians chapter 5, which many people turn to and they read, and it's a foundational study for people who are married, about how married people are to interact with one another. But first and foremost, it's a study about Jesus and his relationship to the church. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So our love for the church should be like Christ's love for the church. Our love for our spouse should be like Christ's love for the church. Revelation chapter 19 verses 7 and 8 say, Let us rejoice and exult let me get it again. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Using beautiful imagery 
apocalyptic imagery, painting a magnificent and beautiful picture. He paints a picture of Christ as the groom and the church as his bride. Revelation chapter 21 Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. He mixes his images there just a little bit. He says the church is like a city, the New Jerusalem, but the church is also like a bride. And God has prepared the bride for her husband, who is Christ. A little bit further along in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so what I want to say is that Jesus Christ is married to the church and because Jesus loves the church, we should love the church. Jesus sees our weaknesses. He sees our spots and our blemishes. He sees our imperfections and our reluctance at times to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yet he loves the church. And we see the spots and the imperfections and the weaknesses. The question is, do we love the church like Jesus loves the church? Because there's all the difference in the world between dating the church and marrying the church. Well, how did Jesus love the church? How did he demonstrate that love? Well, let me turn your attention to the book of Philippians chapter 2. I want you to notice that Jesus demonstrated his love for the church by refusing to cling to his divine privileges. He loved the church by, by refusing to cling to his divine privileges, by, by refusing to insist on his rights and his privileges. Look with me in verse 5 and 6. He says in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the question is, what attitude? That verse, it's an interesting verse because it, it's like a bridge. And a bridge will connect two pieces of land that are separated by by a river or a stream or a valley. And that's exactly what this verse does. It connects backward to the previous two verses that we read a moment ago. And then it relates forward to what he's about to see. In fact, what he's saying is, get out of your mind and get into Christ's mind. Quit thinking about the church the way that you think about the church and start thinking about the church the way that Christ thinks about the church. So go back with me again to verses 3 and 4. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. See, there's something that transitions in a dating relationship when it becomes a marriage, and that is the person's mindset changes. Somewhere along the way, the person is he's in this relationship 
not merely by what he, for what he can get out of it, enjoyment and the, and the pleasure of being with a person, but he wants to demonstrate that love and that concern and, that, and those feelings to the person that he or she is dating. There's a, there's a change that takes place. Well, the same happens in a church. And Paul is saying that this church, this church at Philippi was having problems. Sometimes we think, well, the church at Philippi it didn't have any problems. It's the favorite church. Of all the churches the Apostle Paul started, it's his favorite church, and it probably was his favorite church. It's the first church he started in what we today call Europe, in Acts chapter 16. It's the favorite book of some people, but as if we were to take a poll today, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Inevitably, there would be a few They would say, my favorite book is the book of Philippians. And if you were to ask them why, they would say because of the message of joy. Sixteen times, either as a verb or a noun, the word rejoice or joy is used. It it permeates the book. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's a book that you can turn to when you're discouraged. And if you just read through the book looking for the word joy and circle it over and over again, you'll see how Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi to be joyful. But sometimes we think that the church at Philippi didn't have any problems, but that's not true. Uh, That's a surface reading of the book. It's a misinterpretation of the book. The, The church had some problems. There were some internal problems in the church. There were some people, apparently, that didn't like the way things were being done. There were some people in the church that didn't like other people in the church. And Paul's advice is in verse 3 and 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. So either we will obey those admonitions or we won't. Either we will embrace them or we'll reject them. Either we will affirm them or deny them. And so... He says, get out of your mind and get into Christ's mind. But he goes on to say in verse 6, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul is making some unbelievably substantial doctrinal statements right there. The first statement is Jesus Christ is God. To say that he existed in the form of God isn't to say that he appeared to be a God or that he thought he was a God. When he says in the form of God, he is saying Jesus Christ is divine. Jesus Christ is God. He was God before he was conceived in Mary's womb. He just didn't have a body like a human being. Once conceived in Mary's womb... He became the God-man. He is God. And so he's saying that Jesus Christ is divine, who although he existed in the form of God, he is God. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So first he's saying Jesus is God. Second he said Jesus didn't grasp something. When we think of the word grasp, we think of, of holding on to it. It's kind of like when the plan... When the time came for the plan of redemption to to be initiated by the virginal conception, by the virgin birth, 
It's not like Jesus was hanging onto the throne in heaven and, and grasping and God's trying to, trying to pry him loose. That's not what the word grasp means. The word grasp there means to use to one's own advantage. He's saying that Jesus didn't use his deity to his own advantage. Say, Pastor, what, what, what does that mean? Remember, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, the very first temptation was to turn stone into bread to satisfy his hunger. Now, he could have done that. But you and I couldn't do that. Jesus, in his coming, part of the reason he came was to show us not only our need for salvation, but after salvation, how to live. And we live by trusting God. So Jesus could have satisfied his own desires by turning stone into bread, but then he would have been using his deity to his own advantage. He would have used it for himself. Rather than using his deity for himself, he used it for the benefit of others. Like walking on the water in the midst of a storm and calming the storm as he gets into the boat with the disciples. That's something only God can do. Jesus didn't do it for himself. He did it for his followers. Taking a few pieces of bread, a couple of small fish, and then feeding thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He didn't do it for himself. He did it to feed a hungry crowd. Or to walk up to a blind man and, 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 and put some mud on the blind man's eyes and tell the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he goes and he washes and he sees. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for the blind man. When he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He didn't use his deity to his own advantage. He didn't cling to his divine privileges. He ministered and cared for others. That is, when it says, if you'll look in verse, in verse 7, this takes us to the next thought. In verse 7, he, he demonstrated his love for the church by embracing a servant mindset. So he didn't use his position, his deity to his own advantage, but what he did do was he emptied himself and became a servant. Look at verse 7 with me again. He says, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. So at verse 5 and 6, is about Jesus not using his divine privileges for himself. Verse 7 is all about Jesus being a servant to those he came to save. There's a lot of discussion about that phrase, emptied himself. How did Jesus empty himself when he became a human being, when he became the God-man? Well, sometimes people will say, well, he emptied himself by setting aside his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his, his, his heavenly glory. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that Jesus emptied himself not by casting certain things aside, but by taking certain qualities on. What did Jesus become that he had not previously been? 
a bondservant, and a human being. That's how Jesus emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself by becoming a bondservant and a human being. First, by becoming a bondservant, he came to serve, not to be served. The Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, in our mindset, the greater you are, the more servants you have, the more lackeys that you gather around you, the more people to carry out your bidding. But Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus reversed the mindset of, of leadership in the, in, the, in the mind of the secular world, the podcasts, the books. Leadership is, is going up the ladder, but in Jesus' version of leadership, it's descending the ladder. It's the first being last and the last being first. It's him telling the disciples, you must be the servant of all. And so Jesus came to be a servant. He, he took on what he previously had not been. And in heaven he was, sitting, he was seated in glory and the angels did his bidding. But on earth he washed the disciples' feet. On earth he ministered and served and helped those that were in need. Jesus demonstrated his love for the church by embracing a servant mindset. And so should we. That is, when you date a church, you don't serve in the church. But when you join a church, you serve the church. See, there's a transition that doesn't take place in some people's minds. They go from a dater of the church to one that joins the church, but they never actually marry the church, and so they don't follow Jesus into serving the church. Jesus demonstrated his love for his people by serving them. I say, Pastor, where, where would we serve? You could serve in the preschool ministry. You could talk to Beth Blackwell. If you don't talk to her, she'll talk to you. You can count on that. And I say, well, pastor, when would I serve? Well, you could serve twice a month. If you wanted, you could serve one time and miss one worship service. And you could serve one time and miss one BFG by serving the children. You could go to Vanessa. If you're going to go to Vanessa, you better go pretty quick. Otherwise, it's going to be uh, Michelle de la Garza and Doris Cox. But you could go to one of those ladies and say, listen, I'd like to help in a one on Wednesday night. I'd like to serve in children's worship. The first service... Uh, hour when we're in here worshiping, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 children upstairs singing to Jesus, being taught the Bible, being instructed in the gospel. And maybe you work in children's worship. Maybe you teach a Bible fellowship group for a year. So I like to work with teenagers. Talk to Drew Smith. He's got a very impressive team working with our teenagers. On the way out, I, I was speaking to Matt Ditch after the first service, and he was telling me how funny the, the story was about uh, Jay Lynn and I, and, and I on my first date. And as he walked away, I thought, that, that's phenomenally impressive. A very important law enforcement officer in our city, upstairs working with our youth. And so, maybe it's the youth. 
Now, we've got a senior adult pastor, and we've got another staff member who spends a significant amount of volunteer time working with our senior adults. Maybe you say, you know, I'd like to work with the senior adults. Let's speak to Larry Buchanan. Maybe you just say, come to the come Friday night game nights or go on some, uh, go on some, outings, uh, go on some outings with us. Maybe you go to your Bible fellowship group director or teacher. Say, listen, i got a busy life right now. It's, it's, a, it's a hectic life. I, I've got a full-time job, and my wife's homeschooling three kids, and I'm going to school on Tuesday and Thursday nights. I don't have a lot of time, but I want to serve. I want, I, I want, to, I want to be a part of what, of what we're doing here in the Bible Fellowship Group. What could I do? And you might say, could you call the visitors? Could you just call our visitors on Sunday afternoon and, and just tell them, hey, thanks a lot for coming, and, and listen, if there's anything we can do, we'd, we'd love to... We'd love to, uh, to do it. Maybe go on a mission trip. Maybe this year you just decide they're going to unveil in just a few weeks the, the six mission trips for next year. And maybe when the list comes up, you say, that's one I'm going on. Uh, I'm going to uh, train pastors with reaching and teaching. Or I, I'm going to work with uh, children with gospel and grain. Or one of the others. Jesus loved the church enough to serve the church. God help us. If the church he loves, we don't feel any obligation to serve. Jesus emptied himself, not by casting aside his omniscience or omnipresence or or any other divine attribute, but by taking on being a bondservant and a human being. You know, Jesus didn't have a body before he was conceived in Mary's womb. Only after conception did he begin to have a body. One of the first catechism questions we ever taught our children, what is God like? God is a spirit. Has not a body like man. Jesus Christ became God incarnate like you and me. If you hit him, he would bruise. If you pierce him, he would bleed. If you crucify him, he would die as the God-man. And so, Jesus loved the church by embracing a servant mindset. Number four... Jesus demonstrated his love for the church by laying down his life to establish it. Jesus laid down his life to establish the church. And he has left us with a message of hope and reconciliation. Look with me in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That's interesting that he humbled himself because if you'll go back with me just a few verses, you'll notice that Paul says that we are to humble ourselves back in verses 3 and 4. He said in verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. If Jesus humbled himself, we should humble ourselves. And it's not if he did, but yes, he did, and therefore so should we. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, and obedience is a manifestation of humility. 
Obedience is a recognition that there are others more important than me. Obedience is saying, I will do what Jesus has called me to do, and that is to love the church and be married to the church and to serve the church and to not insist on my rights and privileges and preferences. So he demonstrated his love for the church ultimately by laying down his life in order to establish the church. Again, look with me in verse 8. He humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient. How far did his obedience go? To the point of death, even death on a cross. How far was Jesus willing to obey? He was willing to obey to the point of suffering the worst form of execution in the ancient world. Typically, men were crucified naked in order to heighten their humiliation. In order to put a, to, to, to put a stark reminder in the minds of anyone that might go against the Roman government, you will be humiliated and you will suffer greatly. And so Jesus died a horrific death. Why? To establish the church so that we would be a part of a church universally and locally. Jesus died for the church. And therefore, Jesus left us a message, a message of hope and reconciliation. The, the, the death of Jesus is only part of the story, isn't it? If we had time, we could look, look at verses 9, 10, and 11. God raised him from the dead. God exalted him to his own right hand. God gave him a name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He gave him the name Lord. He gave him the title Lord. And the one that established the church, that died for the church, and is married to the church is none other than the one that gives us a commission to take the gospel across the street and around the world. It's the one that says there's a message of hope and a message of reconciliation. And because we love Jesus and because we believe the gospel, we marry the church and then we take the message of the church outside the walls of the church to share with those who need to know that message. Jesus loves the church. Well, Josh Harris in that book, Stop Dating the Church, uh, partway through the, through the book, he describes what it looks like when you marry a church. What does getting married to a church look like? And he spends about 10 pages describing a variety of characteristic or actions that, that people take when they quit dating the church and they marry into the church. One is this, you join. You, you, you sign up, you put your name on the dotted line. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, our first step class. We had about 26, 28 people in there. The majority of them have said, we're signing on the dotted line. We're ready to, we're ready to, to join the church. And so when you quit dating a church, you join the church. You, you move from dating to marriage. Uh, that's the way that it works in life, relationships, and in relationship to the church. You, you join. Second, you make it a priority in your life. It's, it's not just like you continue to live as if you haven't joined. That would be like marrying someone and then continuing to live as if you're single. Coming home from work and, and your wife says, well, what are you doing? I'm getting ready and I'm going out. And where are you going? I'm going to the ball game. Well, why didn't you say anything to me? Well, I, I don't say to you what I'm going to do. 
That's a big mistake. Let me tell you, I learned that one. Don't, don't do that. But you enter into a covenant relationship with a person. It doesn't mean that you don't go to ball games with friends. But now you have an obligation to talk about it with someone else. What's your schedule? Is this going to, how's this going to work with us, with, with us tonight? Well, the, the same is true when you join a church. You give it a place of priority, and how that looks will vary. For example, if you're a 28-year-old single guy and you're working 40 hours a week as a, as a, a CPA, you're going to have a little bit more free time than if you're a mom and dad and the dad's working 40 hours a week and the mom's homeschooling the children and the dad's going to school two nights a week. Well, that's a different dynamic. The expectations have got to be, have got to be different. You, you look at it a little bit differently. That's why uh, the church can't put on you, we can't determine for you, how do you make it a priority? But you've got to be able to stand before Almighty God and say, Jesus loves the church. He, bar- he, he married to the church. I'm married to the church. I'm going to put, make it a priority in my life, but I'm going to make it an appropriate priority. You know, just because a person is at the church every time the door is open doesn't make them a good Christian person, and it doesn't make them a good Christian church member either. But neither does it make a person a good church member when they're a casual comer and goer. And that there's not anywhere in the church they can say where they're, they're, they're throwing in their lot in, in a way of service. That's the, the next thought. He said you find ways to serve. And I, I listed out a number of possibilities for you. Uh, maybe, maybe what you would say, Pastor, none of those really strike my chord. Well, how about singing in our worship choir? We're going to start Wednesday night. Singing in the worship choir. You will meet wonderful people. They're from different age groups and ethnicities. And on a regular basis, you will, you will come out and you will lead during a portion of the service in in worship. I mean, it's multifaceted in how helpful that can be to you. And maybe you're one of those people with, I mean, you're just pulled in a thousand different directions and, and you would say, you know, the best I can genuinely, honestly do is show up once a week for about an hour and 15 minutes and sing in the, and practice singing with the worship choir. Praise God for that. Praise God for you that you're finding somewhere in a very hectic, busy life where you're able to serve. And I think that is fantastic. He says you give. When you, when you marry, you give. Let me just say, you're, you're giving phenomenally well. You know, I, I can't be any more encouraged about the sacrificial generosity. I don't know what anyone gives. Some, there are some here today, they don't ever give anything. They're sponging off of the church and, and her ministries. But we have many, many people, some maybe who give a lot and some who seem to give little, but it doesn't matter. The amount isn't the important point. It's sacrifice that matters. We are, we are somewhere around 96% of our budget entering, uh, coming out of the summer. Last year, we were at 93% of our budget. Those 3% are tens of thousands of dollars that we're able to use in a variety of ministries and in a, in a, variety, of, a variety of ways. 
And so when people marry this church, the idea, there are a significant number that give. But Josh Harris says that's one way that you, you demonstrate you're married to the church. You give. Another way is you begin to connect with other people. You begin to develop friendships with other people. You begin to develop relationships with, with other people as you have time and opportunity. That is, in Bible fellowship groups, you make sure you know everybody's name. In Bible fellowship groups, you try to get to know the people that are there. Know who they are, the names of their kids, uh, what's going on in their life. And over time, little by little, bit by bit, your, your lives become intertwined and unlike one who dates who is independent and keeps people at arm's distance when you join you're you're diving in and then finally he says you share your passion you share your passion you 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 tell people about our church you tell people I love I love our church Blake wore this the other night staff got it a little bit early and and he said the first night he wore it three people said you know where do you go to church at and he said, let me tell you where I go. And he told him about Ninth and O Baptist Church. That hopefully will be a segue to actually sharing the gospel. But sometimes you're not ready to share a gospel. A person's not ready for a gospel witness. So the best thing you can do is come, just come go to church with me. Uh, you'll find that uh, I think you'll like the people quite well. Preacher's very handsome. You, you'll, you'll find him stunning and striking. Music guy, not so much so, but he knows how to play the guitar very well. And so... Whatever it is, you'll find you have a passion for that which you love. I mean, anybody that knows me, anybody that knows me knows how much I love my wife. And there's so many people in here, men in here, I know how much you love your wives. And if you know me, you know how much I love my children. And you know how much I love my grandchildren. Well, I know the same thing about literally hundreds of people in this church because the things that matter most to us are the things we find an opportunity to talk about. So Josh Harris says you're passionate about it, you'll talk about it. You know, Christ loved the church, gave himself for her, and so should you. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and it may be that uh, you've made the decision, hey, I, I'm ready to sign on the dotted line, Pastor. And if you'll come forward during this time, we'll introduce you to someone that can take you through the membership process and explain it, explain it to you. Or maybe, maybe today you'd just like to talk to someone about your spiritual life. When I started attending church, I had zero understanding of the gospel. And if somebody had just said, if you'll come forward, we're not going to embarrass you, we're not going to humiliate you, we'll just sit down with you and open the Bible and talk with you about it, I might have done that. I wish I, 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 wish I had, had had the opportunity at least. And We'd love to just talk with you about that. So I'm going to ask you if you'll stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And Craig's going to come lead us in song. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for the privilege that we have to open your word. We pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would work in us and that we would love the church like Jesus loves the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.